Iggy Pop, everybody. Mm. What else needs to be said about Iggy Pop other than this dude was living a a very, mm, at the time, alternative, edgy, edgy existence. And you can hear it in the lyrics of his song. And you can certainly hear it in the lyrics of that song. That was Iggy Pop, Some Weird Sin. This is Brooks. It's episode, oh, what episode is it? I believe it's episode number 86, and this is The Debauchery Diary. Now, this is a classic Chris Moore episode, you guys and gals. This is the episode where Chris reads his chapter, which he called a little Easter egg in the uh I believe is a Get Change book. He plops this in, and this is a spoken record of his first attempt at writing an entertaining uh, essay where he was, outside of doing writing for professional reasons, this was his first big attempt to try to entertain us. And to anybody who has heard this before, you know that he, well, honestly, he hits it out of the park. Very entertaining, very fun, and a... uh, a great way to like look back at Chris and the guys he was hanging out with. Um, the story takes place in 2009, and I believe when Chris is recording it, it's 2015. So we flash forward six years. And just to see how much these guys have changed even since then, guys like Dr. Andy Galpin, who has exploded onto the sports and performance scene, especially in MMA. Obviously, Doug Larson still carrying the torch for Barbell Shrugged. Mike Bledsoe. CTP doing his thing down at Training Think Tank, and the legend and lore of Barbell Shrug continues to echo on throughout the eons of time. Uh, So I'm going to definitely cue Chris up. It's mostly going to be today, me taking this opportunity to catch you up, what's been going down. It's been a a wild 2022 so far, and then I'm going to pass it to Chris, and he is going to read his story to close out the show. Well, like I mentioned, 2022 has been wild. When I left the last episode, two two episodes ago, the last one that I uh, did was in New Year's Eve of 2021, and then I had to take, I chose to take a break. And if you'll recall, my circumstances were that I had just felt like I had landed on top of the world. I'd gotten a new job. I was about to be involved in some podcast and video projects with this other company. I was working on building an executive health program for men. And then things happened. Two weeks after recording that episode, I was suddenly fired from my job. And to say that I was surprised and shocked would be an understatement. And being fired, uh, especially if you pride yourself on doing good work, it's a really destabilizing experience because uh, I was witnessing this person want to get to the crux of what our conversation was about, which is that we were about to transition this employment. And I, I started having this surreal moment where it was like, oh, my God, I literally just told everybody on the Barbell Booter Rediscovered podcast 
that I was going to do all of this stuff this year, and here I am getting fired. Like, isn't life so ironic and cosmically funny? It doesn't always feel funny in the moment, but... Uh, I gotta say, I I myself see the humor in making these big proclamations and f- getting canned less than two weeks later. And the truth is, hey, listen, you know, I, I wasn't the right fit for the for the role that I was in. I was mostly in it for the podcast gig. I was mostly in it for the YouTube gig. I wasn't necessarily in it for the real estate trying to put you know, uh, health offices together and and all that stuff. You know, it, it, I was in it for different reasons. Those guys got the the feeling of it. They run an amazing, successful business, and several of them. And they decided to transition the friend, the the relationship, uh, the employment. Which, like I said, quite while quite destabilizing, was in a way the world burning the boats on my behalf. See, Chris got to burn his on on uh, on his own accord, and he left his job to go full-time into the artist, writer, podcaster side of his life, the part of the chapter that we're covering now. But for me, it wasn't a choice. I was thrust back into the wild of the free market and of coaching, and I was left to contemplate what I actually wanted to do. You know, I've moved. I'm currently in Richmond, Virginia. We've loved it every step of the way. It's created some separation between old behaviors and patterns and support systems. So in this sense, I've, I've been freed from maybe the pressure of needing to show up a certain way for other people. And now I'm being let go of this pressure to show up a certain way for my profession. And it got me thinking, okay, what do I really want to do? What do I really want to say? And what are the things that matter the most to me and as I've chosen to put the show uh, Barbell Buddha Rediscovered down temporarily it was in an effort to remove outside influence Chris actually taught me this which is why I chose to do it even he uh, as a, a great teacher and uh, in his own way becoming a friend to all of us who listened he, he encouraged uh, me and us to go through a period where we remove outside influence and get clear on what we want to talk about, what we have to say, and what we're really about. And so what I chose to do is that I, I, took, I took account of where I was in my life. I took account of where my career had been in coaching, where I wanted it to go in the future. And the first step that I took was to ask for help. Some of you may have uh, remembered the story of how I got to Richmond in the first place. My my boy, Dave Robinson, Chopper Dave, he's the one that, uh, along with Mark England and others, really uh, recruited us to come to Richmond. And so I reach out to Dave first because it's like, you know, you're, you guys are my support system. I look up to you. Uh, we're co-mentors. We, we do some reverse mentoring back and forth, right? We're friends and we're also colleagues. And I had this idea. I said, you know, when I was working with that company, uh, when I was working with CCW, they had this belief that there is a market for wellness and health coaching for executive men. And these guys are willing to pay a pretty penny to get results. And if they believe it and they're really, really sharp in the marketplace, who's to say that I, 
uh, outside of their resources couldn't go and build something as appealing in the marketplace for those executive men. And I pitched it to Dave. He loved it. And before you know it, the Chop Club for Men was born. And this isn't an infomercial on Chop Club, but it is part of the story, which is we decided to take a look at our strengths and take a look at how we complemented each other as partners, work-related-wise. And I'll say that working with a good partner is similar or akin to what Chris described in the training room of having a good training partner. The work experience, the training experience is enhanced. It's made so much better when you have the right people to work around. You could hear it when Chris would talk about his days with Barbell Shrugged. He loved working with the guys. And this is the first time having found someone who gets me as excited to work and train as a partner as Dave Robinson does. And uh, we went to the Strong Coach Summit in March of this year, March of 2022. Hallie and I spent the month down in Austin, Texas, which was marvelous. And we went to the Strong Coach Summit. And something magic happened at the Strong Coach Summit because I was there to learn. We had just launched this idea for a men's mastery company. This was a business summit. Strong Coach, if you don't know, is led by Mr. Mike Bledsoe. That has been his primary uh, business and attention since having left Barbell Shrugged. And I was there to learn. And I was there to, I offered to do a workshop on play. It went really well. But about two weeks before I got there, Mike Bledsoe, Mr. Mike the homie, he said, hey, listen, uh, you, you have that story. The king says yes. And I said, yeah. He said, you want to do that in front of the whole summit? And I thought for a moment, I have been waiting my whole life for this opportunity. Over 100 people all gathered together, excited to, for most of them, it was their first big event to be around a lot of people, so the energy was so palpable. People were ecstatic to be there. And I was offered the Saturday night slot after dinner. Now see, if I, if I may indulge here, you know, it was a Thursday through Sunday event. And here's how these things go. If you've never been, you... The first day, everybody is so excited. It's literally electric. You can feel the energy and the electricity in the group. And people are so excited, they stay up all night talking and engaging and just like having fun, right? So most of us got hardly any sleep the first night. And we rode that wave of enthusiasm all the way through about Friday afternoon. And then once Friday... Uh, evening dinner hit, right, everybody decided, oh man, I am so tired. And Friday night is usually the night that everybody gets a lot of rest because they didn't get much sleep. Then they have a huge outpouring at the business summit. Then everybody's exhausted and they want to get some rest, which means that Saturday, which is like the last big party night of sorts, since Sunday night is going to be mostly the closing, is Everybody's wild, wildly enthused, and everybody's well-rested. And here I was, 
about to go up and give a storytelling performance to about 100 people excited to be there and not sure what they're about to get themselves into. What do you, you, what do you there's, there's a story. What is it like? What are you going to talk about? Is this like a, is this like another workshop? But what it was is I got to step into being an artist for the first time, like really embodying ownership over this thing that I love to do, which is talk and tell stories and teach lessons. It's something that I have found and discovered in myself by this, in a way, de facto mentorship that I have received, not from Chris personally, uh, not from in-person in flesh, but from the work that he has put in as, as an artist has been my mentorship into taking ownership over my own art, storytelling, and writing and coaching are all now weaving together in this magical way that I wouldn't have had access to had I not been fired. This is the first key point here. Because the chances of me being at the strong coach go significantly down if I'm still working that other job. The chances of me finding the space to really uh, harness my craft of writing and storytelling would have gone down. I would have been investing a lot of time in this other area. And and it actually wouldn't have it wouldn't have fully been mine because I would have been doing it for someone else in their vision. And now here I am about to step into my vision in front of a hundred just savage, aggressive, uh, aggressive at loving life human beings. People that have a lust for life, as Iggy Pop once so beautifully said. And guys, y'all, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, from the moment I started, Mike does his intro, he introduces me, he's funny, he pokes fun at me a little bit, which I appreciate, okay? I don't, I don't take myself too seriously. Mike wanted to poke at me a little bit, I enjoyed it. If you have a friend that likes to poke at you just a little bit, just, to, just let them have their fun. It's all in good fun. Don't take yourself too seriously. So Mike pokes, and uh, he, he, he passes the floor over to me, right? And I start. Now, so the, the way the show works is I have this opening monologue where i got to introduce you to my co-pilot in this adventure, who is my friend Sam. And I love, I love impersonating Sam because that's what I get to do in the show is I get to impersonate the people on so there's some acting there's some music playing uh and we're about to get to like the first real like punch of the show where i set it up with the the, with the big line and it's like the first major point in the story and that's when people get to say the king says yes like you know like enthusiastically for the first time and and there's a moment where the lights go out and there's uh, a spark of a joint that some people don't quite know is about to happen and then the music hits and and everybody loses their fucking mind okay so we have this moment and from right then on i'm i can just feel myself like carrying the whole energy of the room i have everybody's attention uh, i'm letting the muse and the cannabis do its work through me and it was just it was a complete magical moment that i chose to dedicate before i started uh, i knew that as soon as i started like before I even told the monologue, I dedicated it to Chris because I could feel in that moment 
his presence. Doug Larson was there. It was the first time I'd like really connected with Doug for uh, Doug in person. Yes, I had known him. Yes, I have hung out with him. But being able to share that intimate space with Doug was a real honor and a pleasure. And for him to be there and for Mike to be there and for me to be able to make that dedication to Chris was a, a very special and magical moment that has kick-started what has been a accelerating bullet train of me doing the things that I love to do more than anything else. And yes, it has come with some pain. Yes, it has come with some uh, real uncertainty, like excruciating uncertainty as to whether or not this is going to work whether or not Chop Club is going to work, whether or not the ability to maintain a lifestyle where I am podcasting, writing, and uh, having coaching conversations, and that is the only work that I do. And I say only because that's the only work I want to do. I've slowly but surely, and again, had some parts ripped away, but I've torn down all of the things that I don't want to do, the bad work. I've narrowed it down to only doing good work. And what I aspire to do from this point forward is to pursue great work. Great work like Chris's great work. Like his books and his podcast. And his own voice. Achieving his dream. Not anyone else's dream. His dream comes true. And I want my dreams to come true. And I can't do that by attaching my uh, hopes and aspirations to someone else's dream. And Chris taught me that. And so we launched Chop Club in May. We've had some early signups and success. We are attracting the type of people that we want to work with. Dave is crushing on the coaching side. I'm getting to write and do more podcasts. And uh, it's given me so much energy and time freedom that I'm now back to pay this forward to Chris as a continued tribute to his legacy. But also I'm paying it forward to anyone that finds themselves listening to my voice right now. Whatever your dream it is possible. It may not look, and in fact, I'll go ahead and say, it probably won't look how you imagined it. The road to get there is often marred with bumps and, and uh, tough terrain, almost impossible-looking terrain. And yet, step by step, day by day, you start to execute those things that you, just little, you start to claim those things little by little. I'm going to do this more today. I'm going to do it for 20 minutes today. And then I'm going to do it for 40 minutes today. And then before you know it, you're spending three, four hours just in, engulfed in the things that you love. You've, you've harmonized that with other areas of your life. And you start to live in a way that is has a lust for life. And uh, I am... So thankful that as I report to you on Sunday, July 3rd, as I have my, oh, let me just take a, as I, as I have my second beautiful, beautiful cup of coffee, I'm just going to take this here. And this is going to, this is going to keep me company, this second cup of coffee, as I close down and just say thank you to all you who are continuing to listen. Uh, thank you for following me on my journey. And thank you for 
continuing along this tribute to Chris Moore, but I would like to remind you before I pass it back, the way that we pay this forward is to do it yourself. Live whatever inspiration Chris has brought to your life. Continue to apply it to your life. Go for it, and you have no idea the type of magic that can happen. Well, thank you for letting me catch up. Chris, man, let's, I want to hear about the debauchery diary. Tell me about your trip to the Spring River in Arkansas and take these people home. Until next time, thank you, and I'll see you when I see you. Uh, tonight we're going to do something different. Something different. I'm going to read you a story. Now, that's not different. I read lots of stories. But this one's a different kind of story and a special story. Uh, for those that have got the book Get Change, my latest one, thank you. <laughs> but if you got to the middle, you'll recognize that there's an Easter egg there. Or at least something I intended to be an Easter egg. It's a big story. It's a different kind of story. And it's different because it's the first story I actually ever wrote. Like a long, intentionally trying to entertain people kind of story. I've written my whole life, and I've done like a lot of technical writing and a lot of science writing, a lot of uh, performance writing and such, blog posts, all that. This is my very first attempt ever to like entertain people and do something different. And it was a time where I was like, I guess I'd, I'd like to try this. You know, who knows? This might work out in the future. I don't know how or why, but um, well, it did. I ended up doing a lot more of this kind of thing, which makes me happy. But this was like 2009 or so when this all happened. Me and my buddy Lucas, uh, my former roommate, dear friend, uh, Brazilian madman, we got into my car very early. We drove into the mountains of Arkansas to rendezvous with a lot of familiar faces, the names you are going to recognize. <laughs> uh, yeah, in many ways, this was one of like the first events that sort of, I mean, we are all just like a cumulative pile of experiences. Uh, I read an awesome thing this week. Um, Maria Popova, who writes a very excellent website, Brain Pickings, is fucking awesome. It's really like humbling even to see how much good writing she puts out. But she referenced um, something I read from her yesterday, a story from um, Picasso, where he was sitting in a chair. I don't think it's too uncommon, but it's a great story. He's sitting in a chair, you know, just messing around, reading, doing whatever. And a girl comes up to him and says, oh, Mr. Picasso, the great Picasso. Picasso, whatever you call Picasso. You're so amazing. Can you draw me just a quick sketch? And he agrees and he takes that piece of paper or whatnot or she gives it to him. Whatever. The details don't matter too much. He quickly just sketches down in five minutes or less. It's really awesome, abstract, unique version of this woman's face. Hands it back to her. She's obviously thrilled. I mean, what a treat to have a sketch from the master in your hands. Uh, somebody like uh, Picasso's skill set crafts you in an image. And you, you definitely go home and frame that thing and put it on the wall. But she answers him, this is so amazing, this is so awesome, so special, thank you very much, what do I owe you? And he says, $5,000, man. And now all of a sudden, oh, now all of a sudden she's pissed, right? She's like, what, how dare you, how dare you charge me $5,000 for something that took you five minutes to do, right? This is a common thing uh, in art, it's uh, like in creativity and coaching and any business, whatever, it's sometimes it's hard to like uh, think clearly about what you're worth and, and value your work appropriately. Sometimes we think it's all about just what you did right now and that's the worth. Well, that's not true. Picasso answers back to her. Uh, I'll paraphrase. You know, why not paraphrase? I can't remember everything. Basically saying, um, well, it took me five minutes plus the rest of my life, ma'am, you know, to be able to produce this. It's not the acute thing 
that allows for anything. You're a, just a rolling tally of experiences and things learned and, and ups and downs. Everything, every single thing in your life up to this point that like goes into a big pot of stew and makes a unique flavor. And that is what informs your professional view, your personal view, your recreational view. It's how you train. It's how you work. It's how you live. It's everything. So moments like this are really important. And I wanted to look back on it because it was that first like step. I, I was going over to do something fun and that was great. I mean, lots of people get drunk and float down the river for eight hours, which I'm going to tell you about <laughs> with their friends. But it, it, I don't know, a lot of things started with this trip, and I look back on it. I haven't read it too many times since, so it's going to be fun to kind of read it and act it out and see how far we've come. Um, is really is really amazing. Um, and to think that this this first sort of action, like, well, I think I'll just, because I feel like I should do something, I will do it. That's a big thing with me. When you feel like you should do something, I think that's like the most sacred thing in the world because I think that's like the muse sort of tickling you on the shoulder saying, I think this would be a very good thing for you to do. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And the fruits of that might come immediately, but probably not. They might come in a few weeks, but probably not. Uh, in this case, they come around, you know, six years later or whatever. Um, you can really appreciate what you did and how far you came and what the initial act represents. So that's kind of what the story is. I'll read it to you and I hope you enjoy it. Uh, before we get into it, let me do a couple of like business things. Just to promo things, get out of the way, because this way we can. the rest of the thing will just be reading. First things first, go to barbellshrug.com, sign up for the newsletter. Check out all the articles. You know, I work hard putting all that together. A lot of great people have come uh, on board. We've teamed up. We've kicked out a lot of good stuff. Go there. Click around. Any article you choose. Uh, you can learn anything you want. I think it'll be a very good thing for you to do. <laughs> Just go. Also, sign up for the newsletter if you dig um, everything we're up to. You want to stay up to the latest and greatest news, uh, you'll get all the latest uh, via that newsletter. Sign up for the newsletter. Again, barbellshrugged.com. Also on iTunes for the Get Change podcast, also for Barbell Shrugged. And if you do enjoy Barbell Business as well, just type in Barbell Shrugged, see what we're doing, listen to the shows. If you dig it, please leave a five-star comment. We really enjoy that. Why? Why? Because iTunes cuts us five-star comment checks. No, <laughs> that's not what happens at all. Actually, it's just the better you review a show, the more it kind of floats to the top and people can discover it. So, all we're looking for is to have people hear the show and dig it and maybe learn a thing or two. In this case, maybe also be entertained for a little while. And your your very kind reviews and comments go a long way into letting that happen. So cheers. Uh, also, if you dig the book, Get Changed. Little, little stories I let out like this. I've also, um, you go on Amazon and iBooks and see previews of it and everything. But if you want a copy of that, you can go onto I, uh, Amazon iBooks and also merch dot barbellshrug.com there are some signed copies up there for you if you want them so uh also one more thing one more thing uh at the time of this podcast recording it's like what it's early february uh, in a few weeks the barbell shrug team will be going up to dun, 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 columbus ohio for the honor classic if you if you're gonna be in the united states uh in march 6th 7th and 8th okay anywhere near columbus ohio uh, you should come. Why? The Auto Classic is nuts. <laughs> Everything you ever want to be exposed to in strength and fitness and whatnot uh, is at this event, like in the same building, basically. Weightlifting, powerlifting, strongman, martial arts of all kinds, CrossFit, fucking gymnastics, uh, cup stacking for speed. <laughs> it's incredible. It really is. And a massive expo hall with every kind of free shitty protein powder you could ever want. So if that doesn't tantalize you into coming do so now but also we will be there and if you see us and you say hello we'd love to meet you and 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 
and, and say thank you for listening. Shit. Why not? So with that, that's all I got. Uh, we're going to get into the story now. It's going to be great. Um, I'm good. Look, hey, no promises. You might hear accents. You might hear me riff off topic and comment about a character in the story. Whatever. But I think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, crank this up as you commute to school or work. Uh, play it in your room with headphones. Uh, I don't know, but I think you're going to enjoy it. I'll do my best to entertain you. Without further ado, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Debauchery Diary. This quote seemed to sum things up at the time. Taste every fruit in the garden at least once. It is an insult to creation not to experience it fully. Temperance is wickedness. The homie Stephen Fry. The alarm sounded at 4.30 Saturday morning. Only bad thoughts exist this early in the day. I had fallen into bed just three hours before, simultaneously elated and exhausted. As my eyes clamped shut, I was certain that I had seen one of the best rock shows of my life. Now, as waves of sound from tiny speakers raced across my medium rear left eardrum, self-pity and anger seemed like much more appropriate feelings. Uh, note number one, I think the band was ACDC. I was shocked with how fun it was to watch those old dudes play. <laughs> By 7 a.m., we were out on the road ahead of schedule, halfway to Buffalo City already and feeling mostly human. It's amazing what good company can do. That and a steady stream of 80s metal and... And a well-rounded breakfast consisting of barbecue pork grinds, beef jerky, salted cashew pieces, and the ever-present tab cola. Fuck yes, you heard me. Lucas manned the wheel brilliantly, guiding the car as it sliced up and down uh, that snaking Ozark highway. He was focused, like a space monkey just shot into orbit, only thinking about the job at hand, unconcerned and unsure of when and if he'd get home. (laughs) Imagine the feeling to be some kind of trucker's high. A delirious in-between state of consciousness induced by sleep deprivation, fatty preserved food, and dangerously fast speeds. If only we had some uppers to add to the mix, then we'd be having a good time, right? <laughs> uh, note number two, uh, get this out of the way right now. I was reading a lot of Anthony Bourdain and Hunter S. Thompson when I uh, wrote this, I think, so it might have a little bit of extra flair. <clears throat> we touched down at the cabin just before 10 a.m. The scene was gorgeous. A picturesque wooden lodge contrasting sharply against a rugged mountain backdrop. As we uh, unpacked and approached the back door, I swore I felt the building like pulsing with energy or something. Like it was a scene of a meteor crash. There had been an impact the night before. The area was still cooling down, only instead of a crater and scattered debris, all you could see were like crumpled Miller light cans everywhere and scattered solo cups. Andy came stumbling out of the back door, sleepy-eyed and way hungover, giving me a great big hug. The kind that wouldn't imply, I hope to Christ you're ready to party. (laughs) Stepping into the cabin, I was struck by a perfume of cedar, roasting bacon, and stale beer. Mm, I know, appetizing, right? Gathering in the communion all around the kitchen were just about all the men I cared to know. They were a little worse for wear, but excited to be prepping for another day out on the river. These men are my lifelong friends. They are training partners, past roommates. When life allows for this sort of reunion, there's no delay or hesitation you take full advantage. A quick pro tip, though, you should probably pack a bottle of ibuprofen for your drive home. (laughs) 
That really does help. As we began to settle in, Bledsoe shouted out from the front doorway, Hey, grab your shit. We're heading down to the river in five minutes. I began to hustle, quickly tucking my bag into an unoccupied corner of the cabin. After a quick change of clothes and a quick coating of sunblock, be responsible, I managed to stumble over to the stove and score up the last few abandoned strips of bacon. It would have to do for now. Two minutes, assholes, let's go! Right out front, there was a big passenger van pulling up with a long rack of canoes and kayaks. Tucked alongside the rented vessels were all these coolers, every kind of color you can imagine, packed with 200-some-odd cans of beer. Miller Lite, yeah, I know. We didn't have much of a budget. <laughs> the atmosphere in the van reminded me of like a grade school field trip or something. We were packed in there like prepubescent sardines, and the topic of conversation quickly turned to booze. Hey, do you think we have enough beer? That was a serious question. <laughs> yeah, there's no way we could ever drink all that. Bullshit! Did you see how much we went through last night? <laughs> Did you guys see how shit-faced John was? To which John replied, I wasn't that shit-faced. Oh, dude. You tie kicked me in the thigh, and then you spewed all over the porch. <laughs> As I walked to the back of the van, our guide recommended that I sit up front. Hey there, big fella. You might ought to get up there with me. More leg room, you know. <laughs> uh, that seemed just fine with me, actually. Until I realized that Doug was sitting right behind me. With each bump of the road, I could hear him kind of gargle and gasp a bit. Just the week before in training, he somehow managed to wrench a hip right out of socket. That's true. That's Doug, like tore a hip out of the joint at MMA practice one night and still went on this trip. Crazy. I guess, this is call me crazy, that mixing prescription strength painkillers with lots of cheap beer kind of makes for a brutal hangover. I go, uh, dude, are you all right? You're looking pretty rough. Resigned, Doug tilted his head up slightly and replied, yeah, I'll make it, no worries. <laughs> I knew at that point this was going to be a pretty good day and a, and a pretty awesome story. We drove down the road a while and got organized at the launch point, laying out all the boats next to each other, you know, getting each one stocked with a portion of the beer and all the food we could expect to consume that day. Our initial plan was very simple. We would form like a flotilla, drifting down the river in a tight pack, like formation, <laughs> like ready for battle. We would drink, and then we would drink, and then we had enough time, we would drink some more and keep drinking, all until we washed up on shore eight hours down river, Probably mostly unconscious, but hey, probably smiling wide. I was joined in my canoe by my buddy Patrick and Puke and Mike, <laughs> who a lot of people might smile when they hear that name because they know who it is. Uh, we placed the leading edge of our canoe in the water, and we set off. Mike headed up the front of the boat, Patrick tucked into the middle, lounging mostly, and then I brought up the rear, paddling as I could. The first thing you realize in a boat like this is that teamwork is pretty crucial. Obviously, you have to work together to paddle with any sort of efficiency. But also, with three knuckleheads dicking around in there, your chances of flipping over into the water are really friggin' high. It's shaky as hell, man. After those first few strokes, my eyes were drawn down to the river below. There was an incredible contrast between the perfectly clear ice-cold water and the mossy green and brown stones lodged below. This was the first time I'd ever seen, or actually, I've ever been in a canoe, actually. I recognized it immediately as a very special experience. Really cool thing. We began to move around the first bend of the river when I realized that we were already in a flotilla of two. <laughs> Where the hell is everybody? I asked. All of a sudden, you could hear a yell in the background. Help, help! <laughs> Pointing behind, Patrick began to laugh. Oh, man, look at these jokers. The call was coming from Andy. He and Doug's boat uh, made it about 10 feet into the water before capsizing. It was probably the shock uh, of the cold water and the fact that Doug was semi-conscious with a bad leg. 
That's probably what generated the panic. Otherwise, I don't think they could have drowned in a few feet of water. But who the hell knows? All around them, the other boats were spread out across the horizon. The sound of laughter drifted down the valley towards us. We all made brief eye contact before just paddling on. You just got to keep going. But I should say, I kind of thought to myself, man, we haven't even drank a beer yet. We've got 200 to go, and things are already crazy. <laughs> when you're in a canoe, okay, with two other dudes, the most important thing you can do is keep a rhythm. Open a fresh and frosty beer with a smooth swipe of your index finger. Don't waste effort. Take a quick and powerful pull from the can, and then place that can securely between your feet. Reach for your paddle, being very careful not to make any sudden or dramatic movements. Take a few long strokes on either side of the vessel. For Christ's sakes, only paddle with the minimal required effort to stay on course. This is not a race. Do you got that? Now put the paddle down. Repeat steps one through six until you are drunk enough to forget everything I told you. Again, we're not. the aim is to have a good time. That's when the fun starts. After about an hour out on the river, all of our boats slowly began to coalesce back into like the floating tailgate party we initially envisioned. Wind was finally down kind of awesomely into the river valley, rapidly cooling as it rolled across the river. Still, the sun was pressing down just hard enough to drive a good thirst. <laughs> you know what that means, man. I asked Mike for another beer, and he reached over the side of the boat and retrieved an old sun-bleached plastic bag from the current. This was our ready-access stash, kept perfectly chilled by the flowing river. Without turning around, Mike would have just tossed the can overhead with a perfect trajectory, carrying the payload over an unflinching Patrick, and it landed right in my lap. Like I said, man, you got to be in a rhythm. It's everything. Hey, what do we have here? Patrick asked. I think, yeah, looks like some river rats. <laughs> river rats, I asked. Chicks, bro. River chicks. Oh, yeah, of course. We had previously established, right, that while you were out on the water, you could use river as an effective adjective, okay? You didn't say that beef jerky was good. You said, damn, man, this is some good river jerky. Your beer wasn't cold. It was river cold. We were getting pretty drunk now, but with time, we had a chance of being river drunk. And that was the goal. Up ahead, those girls Patrick had spotted were settled into the riverbank fishing, listening to Elvis Presley, of all things. From a boat behind, I could hear my buddy Derek kind of scowl and ask, what the hell is that shit? <laughs> I kind of answered him, dude, you don't know Elvis when you hear him? I guess some folks just don't have an appreciation for the king, man. The poor girls must have been terrified to see 20 inebriated, rowdy dudes floating down the river towards them. It's probably the same exact feeling that Native Americans felt when they saw white dudes coming up the Mississippi River for the very first time. Initially curious, followed by the quick realization that this could only end in disaster. Luckily for these girls, we were just passing by, man. We were gentlemen. Always gentlemen. But, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. We thought what all dumb, young, deluded dudes think when they're in that situation. Man, did you see those chicks back there? Dude, they were totally into us. Whatever. You got any more of those river chips? <laughs> Rocky beaches and small little islands were scattered all along the length of this river. It was cool. We spotted one particularly inviting stretch of land and decided to stop in order to shotgun some beers and grab a bite to eat. All the guys lined up along the shore, cans in hand. Ready? Three, two, one, go. Pssh! With a quick jab, a small hole was ripped into the bottom of the can. You know the technique. The mouth is placed over the hole, then the can is opened from the top. A quick pressure change drives the beer out of the can and down into your alcohol trough of a stomach. I finished my beer and realized I was getting kind of hot, you know, so I went out into the water and kind of waited around. It's cool, refreshing everything. But just as soon as I got out there, my warning signal started to go off, right? All at once, man. Behind me, there was a loud, repetitive splashing. <laughs> 
Turning my head, all I saw was Andy Galpin charging straight towards me. Confusion quickly turned into the understanding that I was about to get creamed, dude. Instinctually, I spread my feet out wide into the rocky riverbed. The impact was quick and forceful. Andy drove me, he drove his body right through my right shoulder, then whipped around my torso like lightning, man. Uh, my balance was lost. I was driven headfirst into the river. The shock was immediate and intense. Not only was I completely submerged for a while, but I also gulped down a pretty good amount of water right upon entry. <laughs> Being quickly cooled from inside out simultaneously is a pretty awesome sensation, I, although I don't repeat it or I don't recommend it. Actually, I think I recall shouting, fuck, or something to that effect. <laughs> Andy just laughed. Cold, isn't it? He would go on the hunt so the other guys during the course of the day and even tried his luck with some large mammals. By that time, we were in the middle of a heated conversation, the kind that only drunk dudes can have, all right? Hey, hey, here's a question for you. <laughs> Who's the lamest superhero, I asked. The lamest, was a pro- reply. Yeah, other than Thor or Green Lantern, of course. Who's the lamest? Oh, dude, Aquaman, no doubt. I think John replied with that. All he can do is talk to fish. And who cares about that shit? He's got to be close to the water to fight anybody. Come on. Okay, okay. What about this? Who's cooler? Okay, we could have used better terms and defined things better, but cooler seemed to work at the time. Who's cooler, Iron Man or Batman? I'm begging the question here because I know who's going to jump in. Bledsoe shouted back immediately, Batman, that's easy. Mm, I disagree with that. I mean, the easy thing would actually be to compare the movies, right? And they both are like rich dudes who are super geniuses with lots of cool toys. But doesn't Tony Stark actually invent his own shit? Uh, again, just the movies. And that kind of got Bledsoe slipping back into deep contemplation. His expression made him look like he had a bad ice cream headache. Mm, you got a point. Never thought of it that way. <laughs> Corey was paddling up beside us, uh, his black labs stretched out across his lap. Holy shit, what is that? Are those cows? Initially, we thought it was just kind of like a hallucination. Uh, but these things were real, man. What looked like wild cows to us, grazing on a grassy island, suspended out in the middle of the river. Hey, Andy, if you like tackling so much, why don't you get your ass over there and tackle that fucking cow? I'll give you a hundred bucks. This is a real bet. (laughs) Andy was quick to accept that challenge. Oh, yeah? You're on. We disbanded in an instant, paddling violently towards the island. Startled, the cows retreated to the mainland. After embedding his canoe in the riverbank, Andy hopped out and immediately assumed like a predatory stance. Holy shit, I thought. He's actually going to do this. We took our positions high on the island to get a good vantage point while not actually interfering with the hunt itself. You don't want to interfere. Creeping out into the field, Andy was focused. It was like a scene at a National Geographic or some shit. The brash young lion staring down the massive elephant, foolishly confident he can make the kill. At that point, somebody shouted out, God, we are so fucking paley right now. Then Patrick turned to me and said the obvious thing. Hey, you know, if he actually does this, you're going to have to pay him $100. Oh, it's so going to be worth it, I replied. But what if they charge him? Those fucking things are huge. Maybe we should tell him to forget it. He could get killed, you know. Ah, well, you're probably right about that. But at that point, it was like way too late to intervene. The timing was right. Andy exploded out of his crouched position and he accelerated right towards those cows. For an instant... They kind of just held their ground and called us bluff, but soon they kind of got spooked, turned around, and head up towards the tree line. To be perfectly honest, we did hope he would get his hands on one of those things. Ah, dude, it wasn't meant to be. Maybe if you weren't so drunk, huh? Here, have another beer. (laughs) Some five hours or so after that initial launch, we drifted towards the dock adjacent to our cabin. Just in time, too. All 200 of the beers were just about gone. I should have known, though, that something wasn't right. Like, it was too quiet for too long. Like, it was eerie. 
Then like a Hail Mary pass at the end of a football game, a large chunk of ice went soaring through the air, coming right at us. One of the guys ahead was emptying out his cooler into the river. He thought it would be funny as hell to scare us into dumping out our canoe, and that's just what happened. As the ice neared, Mike was spooked out of position, and he pitched the canoe quickly to the right. Patrick and I tried the count of the shift, but it was too late, dude. We dumped right over. What the hell were you thinking, River Dummy? Patrick asked. Mike replied, dude, sorry, I thought it was going to hit us. <laughs> we fought to maintain control of the boat best we could, just long enough to get up to a shallow point in the river ahead. Just a little further, I said. We slid the front of the canoe up on a rock, temporarily holding it in the place while we climbed the dry land. Mike grasped the back of the boat and waited for me. As soon as I got a hand on the thing, I stepped on a slippery patch of rock my sleep, my, and my feet came right out from underneath me. The boat was dislodged by the quick current and then was being pushed right at my head really quick. Mike at the last second gained control, man, just in time. That tip of the canoe was like inches from my melon. I rolled over to the left and beached myself for a minute to rest. Holy shit, man, are you okay? Yeah, I just slipped, man, no worries. That could have been bad. After composing ourselves a little bit, we drained the water from the canoe, repacked our gear, and launched back into the river. By that time, the rest of the guys were far out of sight. I was exhausted. My beer buzz was shaking right off during that impromptu dip in the river. Fuck me, man. Let's get back home. When we finally did make it back to the cabin dock, the guys were settled in and grilling food on the back porch. All the boats appeared to be on shore, aside from the one red canoe that seemed to be abandoned, drifting down the river with no one attending it. Don't worry about that, Derek said. Bledsoe and Corey are going after it. I guess everybody kind of seemed relieved to see me. I was the last to pull up after all. Dude, you look like shit. Here, you better have a drink. <laughs> Let me tell you, man. If I was ever able of drinking 12 beers as a warm-up to the main event, those days are long gone by now. God, I thought to myself, I could kill for a Diet Coke right now. To my right, a small group of the guys were setting up for poker at the kitchen table. In the corner of that table, a teetering pile of small coins formed as everyone bought into the game. Chips were scattered all around the periphery, along with fresh cans of beer and plates of food and whatnot. To my left, another group was bringing grass-fed uh, beef burgers in from the grill and steaks and all that. I slipped in all around them, grabbing the bits from the tray. In the center of the hustle, huddled around the keg, Mike and Derek were performing a unique and seemingly complicated maneuver. I guess you could kind of consider it to be a keg stand, only more masculine. Now, warning. Warning to you all, before you attempt the gargoyle, make sure to see your physician. If you've got any kind of orthopedic injury, balance problems, hernias, and whatnot, then you should not attempt this maneuver. If you see yourself ever wanting to have children, then please consider some of the means of inebriation. The chances of severe scrotal snagging are relatively high in this trick. Proper execution is as follows. Approach your keg, firmly grasping the top handles of the vessel. Place one foot on top of the keg, clenching the rim firmly with the toes for stability. Use the down leg to jump, quickly placing the other foot adjacent to the first. This is the trickiest bit of the procedure. Release the hands. Grasp the keg pump with one hand and pick up the spout with the other. Vigorously pump away while sucking foamy beer from the spout. Your friends will laugh because it will look as though you're pleasuring yourself. This is how you know you're doing it right. Once you become lightheaded and fall off the keg, or you violently spew beer from your mouth, you will know you have completed the gargle. Congratulations, you might want to sit down for a while now. I gotta say, by 1 a.m., I was ready to be put down. The wicked combination of sleep deprivation, alcohol, and excessive red meat ingestion was more than any man should be expected to tolerate. At the very first opportune moment, I kind of slipped off to the first available bedroom, went in the back corner, and kind of built myself a little sleeping nest. As I settled in, I could hear someone shouting from upstairs, Dude, how many Smirnoff ices did you stash around here? 
nope, I'm not drinking any more of those fucking things, man. I don't care what the rules say. Back in the kitchen, the conversation turned to cooking. Hey, do you guys know how to cook a cow heart? What do you do, fry it, bake it? What? Somebody Google that. No, 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 Derek interrupted. I think you got to braise it or maybe stew that shit. <laughs> it was like an episode of Iron Chef, only instead of Asian chefs prepping meals with wild ingredients, this version featured drunken crossfitters with knives. That's kind of how it went on and off all the way to 4.30 a.m. That's kind of, I guess, where the party died. Finally. <laughs> Breakfast that next morning was no different than the previous two days. Organic eggs were scrambled by the dozen on the stovetop. Thick-cut peppered bacon was roasting away under the broiler, filling the room with sweet pork perfume. Man, it's great. Strawberries, blueberries, and half the avocados lined the kitchen counter. Everything looked the same as it did the night before. Only the energy was kind of all gone now. Even the most robust party animals amongst us were kind of worn out and ready to go home. All thoughts turned to what we needed to do before we could leave. We finished off all the food. We cleaned every beer-soaked and greasy corner of that cabin. We packed up our shit, and we started to say our goodbyes. One thing became more and more obvious, I think, right there. You know, we weren't as young as we thought we were, maybe. With each year, we settle deeper into our lives, our careers, our families. We have ever-growing responsibilities. We all understand that weekends like this were rare and getting rare all the time. I caught a ride back to Memphis with Bledsoe, Doug, and John. We took the narrow 126 State Highway right out of Buffalo City, rolling out of those hills and into the closest thing to civilization northern Arkansas has to offer. Mike, I gotta have a decent cup of coffee, dude. I asked from the back seat. It's been two days, man. I need it. What are our options? <laughs> Me too, he said. I don't really see anything like Starbucks around here, that's for sure. Maybe we can hit up McDonald's or something. In the passenger seat, Doug was pretty oblivious to all conversation. With crutches stretched out over the armrest next to his left leg, he just smiled and stared across the dashboard into the horizon ahead. John was sitting next to me in the back. His aviator shades hid red, irritated eyes as he texted away on his phone. We drove for about 20 minutes or so before turning off into this little town called Mountain Home. We found a McDonald's tucked inside the local Walmart, the weekend place to see and be seen in a sunny little remote outpost. Walking through the front door, I felt like we got an accurate sample of the entire local population. There were fat guys driving around on rascals, eating Funyuns and whatnot, angry grandmas with purple hair, drawn-on eyebrows, and makeup-encrusted mustaches were walking around shopping. Little kids running around making crazy noise in their underwear. Everything you might see like on peopleofwalmart.com, you know. Mike approached the young girl behind the McDonald's counter. Uh, yeah, I'll have a fried apple pie, coffee, and that'll be it. <laughs> that was his order. The girl looked back, looked really confused, though, and she responded, no shit. Um, oh, I'm sorry, sir, but we don't carry fried apple pie coffee. What? Blessa said. No, no, I want the pie and a cup of coffee to go with the pie. Oh, she said, that'll be two twenty, please. I had forgotten, honestly, how cheap shitty food can be. You can get two fried apple pies and a large cup of coffee for two bucks? Holy shit, I'm going to have what he's having. Maybe I was like in extreme recovery mode, but I had both the pies finished off and the coffee before we even back to the car. Just as we pulled out of the parking lot and began merging back on the highway, we were cut off, man, by a speeding Dodge Caravan. I know, it was intense. <laughs> it was yellow with, a, yellow with a thin black pinstripe running down its length. Patches of bright red rust surrounded the rear left wheel well. Pulling ahead, the woman driving the van looked at us in the mirror and flipped us the bird. Oh yeah, well fuck you too, Mike shouted. Uh, who cares, she'll probably run herself off the road anyhow. Serves her right. He took another long sip of coffee to settle his nerves, then consulted the GPS for directions. After the initial rush, my pie-fueled energy jolt had resulted in a mean backlash. All that caffeine was powerless to counter the effects. I was knocked out cold before we even got back out on the highway. 
We were just outside of Jonesboro when the sugar began to lose its grip on my mind. Snapping awake, I found the guy staring at a semi-truck ahead of us. Doug had his phone in hand, videotaping every moment. Uh, I, I don't know, man. He was really close that time. Looking forward, I could see that truck swing wildly back and forth down the highway. Starting in the right lane, the vehicle would gently pull towards the middle lane, then whip back towards the right-hand barrier. Just before impact, the driver jerked the wheel straight like he was correcting course just in the nick of time. We must have watched that guy repeat this cycle probably over and over for 20 minutes before deciding to call the fucking cops. Doug did the honors. Uh, yeah, hello? Yeah, we're driving through Jonesboro towards Memphis. There's this big yellow truck just swerving all over the fucking place. Oh, yeah, you're on your way already? Uh, okay, yeah, sure thing. Bye. They already knew? Yeah, she said they already received the call about this guy. John added a little something. Or maybe they just thought you were a douchebag for cursing at them. <laughs> Whatever, I feel better about it. Doug turned the phone back on its side and resumed recording. God, this is like Final Destination 5 or something. We were certain that dude was going to crash, especially as we went through the construction zone. There were so many barriers and shit everywhere. And then just then, Mike said he needed to stop. Man, I got to pee really bad. I got to pull over. What? You're going to do that now? Look at all these barrels and shit, man. This guy's going to wreck for sure. We waited 10 more minutes, but no luck. <laughs> luck. <laughs> That driver pushed the semi-truck back and forth between the right and left barriers, coming within mere feet of making contact, but he never did. Son of a bitch. All right, guys, there's the Stuckies. I have to stop. I'm sorry. John was disappointed. Mike, I'm blaming you if we get up there and there's a bloody crash with 40 dead bodies or something. There's no excuse for missing that kind of magic. Doug actually chimed in with a sensible comment. Man, can you believe the cops never showed up? That kind of seems a little bit irresponsible. The vehicle was silent and still, nothing really common upon right up until we got to West Memphis, that is. Just ahead over the median, we began to see a pillar of smoke climbing up towards the sky. Kind of ominous. Cars began to coalesce to form a barrier around the scene. We slowed down to about 20 miles per hour. What's going on, man? It looks like a wreck. No fucking way, dude. It's that truck. As if the air were instantly sucked from the cabin, our voices fell flat. There up ahead was that same fucking truck, only this time the front of it was embedded deep in a concrete barrier. Cargo trailers were everywhere, badly twisted and bowed. The truck driver looked stunned as fuck, sitting on the entry step below the open passenger side door. The guy looked cut up really bad, I gotta say. As we pulled slowly ahead of the wreck, I pivoted in my seat, looking over my left shoulder and through the back window. Fused between the front of that truck and what remained of the barrier, I could just make out the shape of a van. Yellow, no fucking way. Is that the same van? I think it is. Through wisps of smoke, I could see a fractured windshield. That's just about it. Light was pouring in through the gutted rear of the van, but it was all obscured by dark red patches on the driver's side. We all turned back towards the road ahead and resumed our breaths. A few seconds later, John broke the silence. I fucking told you not to stop, Mike. <laughs> all right, that last bit didn't actually happen, but I thought it'd be a great way to end the story. That's all I got tonight for Storytime, folks. Till next week, peace, love, namaste, and cheers. Play me out, Iggy. I shut myself up. Oh.